Matthew 28, verse 16. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Father, we uh, come this moment and we ask as we delight in you that you would be delighted in us. Uh, Father, we pray that these moments where we consider your word and more specifically the implications of your word, uh, that, that this would lead us to continue to worship, to praise you for your good plan of working in and through the church. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning's topic, as I've introduced, is discipleship, and discipleship is no easy task. Let me illustrate this in a humorous way here. Jesus went into the mountains with his disciples and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Just then, Peter raised his hand and said, Will there be a test? And Philip said, Are we supposed to write this down? And then James says, I didn't bring a pen. And Bartholomew asked, did the other disciples have to learn this too? And Judas then responds, will we ever really need this in real life? Just then some Pharisees come up and they said to Jesus, may we see your lesson plan? Was the learning objective clearly communicated to all the students? Was there a range of differentiated outcomes according to the identified levels and ability of each student? Can you show that you have used a variety of teaching strategies according to the different learning models. And Jesus wept. (laughs) It's funny because at so many levels, it's true, isn't it? Teaching people can be a challenging task. You parents, you know this. (laughs) You know this. You, You school teachers, you know this. You grandparents, you know this. And as challenging as it is to do the work of teaching, it's the task that we've been given by the risen, victorious Lord. As you go, in other words, wherever you go, wherever the wind happens to take you, wherever God brings you in this life, make disciples. Teach them about me. Teach them to make me king of their lives so that even they obey me. It was, friends, and it still is, to be the pattern for all of God's people. Paul, when he's talking with Timothy in chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, he says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so what becomes very clear with just a few passages is that the normal pattern was not for this important truth of the gospel and the teachings of Jesus just to be told to a few and then let it sort of die off from there. No, this was to be something that was to go on and go on until Christ returns. And therefore, my central argument this morning that I am making 
is that discipleship is not something that we do, but rather because discipleship is central to being a Christian, it's how we do anything and everything. From men's and women's Bible studies to gathering in each other's homes to how we parent or what we do in the workplace or even how we gather here together on a Sunday morning. Perhaps let me put this more simply. Discipleship is not an activity we do for an hour. It's a way of life. And to help drive that home this morning, I will be looking at discipleship from three different angles. The nature of a disciple the necessity of discipleship in the church. And then we'll close by looking at the nitty gritty of discipling and being discipled. I could not come up with a better, well, nature, necessity, nitty gritty of discipling. So first, a nature of a disciple. Christians believe that the real issue, we believe that the real issue with us is not external to us. Our real issue is not merely our behaviors. Our behaviors actually are rooted and spring out from what is internal, our hearts. So our real issue is internal. And here's what we also believe. The solution to our internal problem comes from outside of us. We believe that we don't dig down deeper to try to make our hearts better. We, we see that that doesn't work. And so what we believe is our internal problem, God has come from outside of us to come and break into our hearts and to change us and transform us. Turning our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh as the scripture talks about. So that we can truly be changed, not just externally, not just our mere behaviors. We want our, the core of who you are deep down to match up with our external behaviors So that we can be holistically one person made alive now in God. This happens when we go from rebelling against God to seeing what Jesus did for us. And when it finally and fully hits our hearts that God loved us enough not to to come just as a spirit, but to come as a human in the flesh to live the life that we should have lived and to die the death that we deserve. And when his spirit then is indwelling in us, we become Christians. We become believers who love God and love others. To use a vehicle analogy, maybe this is helpful for you. God has not come to tune up our crummy old engine. He has come and found the engine pathetic and in need of an outright swap out. So he pulls out the old engine and he puts in a new and bigger and better engine for us. So then the nature of a disciple is that at the core of the disciple, they are a Christian. And the nature of a disciple is a new nature. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Jesus then, he also makes sharp statements about the nature of our discipleship. When he says things like this in John chapter 8, he says, uh, the, the, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Luke chapter 14, verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Luke chapter 14, verse 33. So therefore, if any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Therefore, we see that discipleship, friends, is a commitment to leaving other desires 
and dedicating our lives to following Jesus. Because discipleship is not just something we do. It's actually, it, it penetrates all the things that we do. Therefore, the nature of a disciple is that they are a Christian to be a Christian is to be a disciple. To be a disciple is to be a Christian. They are hand in glove and you cannot separate these two things. What does disciple mean? What does it even mean? Well, it means a follower. In this context, we're followers of Jesus. Not that Jesus is physically walking around and you and I are supposed to get up and go out there and find him somewhere. But rather, the, the intent is that we are to follow Jesus in his footsteps, in his manner of being, in his way of life. Uh, when I was a teen in high school, uh, there was a Christian man that I looked up to. And, and so it got to the point where I realized, boy, everything he does, I'm doing. Where he went skateboarding, I went skateboarding. The music he listened to, I listened to. The way he dressed, the way he talked, his mannerisms, the, the way he would live for the Lord, the fact that he was living for the Lord and I was following him, so therefore I was following the Lord. All of these things came together. And and you could say in a way I was his disciple. It's very much in that same way. This is what we mean when we follow Jesus. As we do, we are looking more like Jesus. We are resembling him more and more. And we'll come back to this later, but being a disciple means, if being a disciple means following Jesus, then discipling means we are helping others to follow Jesus as well. So we're going to come back to that point But I just bring this up because if the nature of a disciple is a new nature given to us by God, I want to hit also on the necessity of this actually happening within the life of the church, within the church. In other words, if we must be disciples, then it raises the question of what elements are necessary to ensure that we are disciples. And I would suppose with you friends that it takes others who come alongside us to help us make it to the finish line. In other words, I need you, you need me and each other to make it to the finish line of being a follower of Jesus. If you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, it's found on page 947 of the Bibles there. And I'm going to turn, uh, and as I read this, I'm just reading verse, chapter 10, verse 22, 23, and 24. And you, you know, you've walked into many places where you find on the wall, uh, somebody says, uh, maybe it's in their kitchen or their dining room or maybe in the hallway where it says faith, hope, and love. I want you to see that here in this passage, faith, hope, and love. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope Without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. We'll pause right there. So you see very clearly, faith, hope, love. These things are critical for being a disciple of Jesus. Yet if we stop there, if we pause right here at verse 24, it leaves us asking, okay, where is it that we're to exhibit this faith, hope, and love? Well, keep reading. Look at verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Aha. I wonder if you've ever sat back and thought about 
what the main means God uses to help us grow and change over time as a disciple. Have you really considered that it is other Christians, other Christians who are in this room right now, that do the work of helping us follow Jesus? John chapter 13, verse 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another, right here. You see, the necessity of me following Jesus means that I can't escape the fact that I need you in my life and we need each other. A Christian who finds themselves alone on an island, it's very easy for them to remain a Christian. It's very easy for them to, to convince themselves or self-deceive themselves into believing that they are Christians. Why is that? I'll tell you what, when I'm alone, give me a day or two. Alone, I'm the most loving the most generous, the most kind person you've ever met. You say, well, wait, Thomas, Thomas, time out. You have nobody that, that's the point, friends. It's only when I get involved with other people, with other Christians, that I I am then strengthened in my true ability to grow in these things. I am challenged by you guys to grow in this. No, no, no. It's too easy to be a Christian when you're off alone on an island. This is why we're called to not neglect gathering together, but to gather together to where we can truly exhibit the faith, hope, and love that we are to have with one another. But when we live life together, that's truly where we are challenged, you know, where you have a mirror that's put up before you. Where a brother or sister comes to you and says, Thomas, you know, maybe you were a little too harsh when you said that. Or maybe, Thomas, you, weren't very, you didn't press in hard enough on that issue. It's only when I'm walking with fellow Christians that I am simultaneously spurred on in faith, hope, and love, and not just negatively either. This is partly where we affirm that we see God at work in each other's lives. It's where I'm able to be with you and I say, I see how God is working even though it is difficult in your life, or I see how you are choosing Jesus even when it costs you here and now to follow him. This, where does that happen except when we are living life together in the church? Remember that nowhere in the Bible is there found Christians who are not connected to a local church. The Bible knows of no such thing. Even Paul, when he was in prison, what was he constantly doing? Asking, please come visit me in prison. So as an extension of the church, church members would join together so that he knows that he's not alone, that he is being spurred on in his following of Jesus. Because normal discipleship in the life of a church is in the life of the church, living together. Now, I know that you are here with us this morning. Perhaps you are here with us most every Sunday, but if the Lord should take you elsewhere, it would do my heart no greater good than to know that you desire wherever God may take you, that you would be embedded in a local church where you get to do this work of discipleship. I I was so... Um, pleased recently when I got together with uh, Dick and Joanne Bauer a few weeks ago. And they said, Pastor, well, it was one of the first things they said, Pastor, we just want you to know that where we're moving to, the retirement community, that there is a church right across the street, and that's where we will be fellowshipping. And, and then they further said, well, we've discovered that there are Bible studies here at the retirement community, and we will gather with other Christians because they recognize the importance of being the gathered body of Christ to spur each other on. 
If there ever was some folks who could say, I think we're going to phone it in for the next four or five years until the Lord calls us home, it'd be Dick and Joanne. But here they are, prioritizing, joining together, growing, even in their last years, trying to grow further down the line in faith. What an encouragement this is. There's one other thing I want us to see in the necessity of discipleship within the church. I think sometimes the good news of grace in Jesus can leave us believing that once we have become a born-again Christian, that all the other work is done. Well, to be clear, all the work to save you, all the work that secures your future with Christ in the future has been done. But there still is the good work that we do now in response because he has saved us. So to be clear, the gospel is not religion. The gospel is not that Jesus saves us because we are so good and do good works. No, but it is true that in light of what Jesus has done, we are now commissioned to do good work. And Jesus tells us that the road that leads to life is narrow. There are few who find it. We know that we have three enemies that come to attack us, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And this is where being a Christian, we are given all the more resources to handle all of this. I hope you hear me this morning. There are other religions that will call you to fight all of these enemies on your own. So that you look at the world coming out there with its evil, with its oppressiveness, with its injustice, with its hatred, or whatever the world brings, and you're supposed to attack this on your own. There are other religions who say, you look inside and you're very discouraged at what you find, and you must attack this all on your own. Christianity, friends, gives us resources to actually overcome and make victory in these regards. Uh, Christianity gives you an identity based not on how well or your, your life is going, but a life that is rooted in the finished work of what Jesus did and now anchors you into a community that spurs you on and equips you to do all that is needed to please God. It puts you in a position, I believe, where you, you really cannot fail. If you have put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ for what he's done for you, and if you join together with other Christians and desire to grow, God will grow you. It won't not happen. It has to happen. It's the very promise. He said that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, against the work of the church and discipleship. It's his plan, his design for us. And I believe a church that sees the necessity of discipleship and moves discipleship culture into the ongoing life of it will be a church that is unstoppable, that will continue to grow amidst whatever The enemy brings our way. This leads me lastly to look at the nitty gritty of discipling and being discipled within the church. Here I want to examine just a few cursory points to help us see the ins and outs of discipling and the regular warp and woof of the church. So how do you enter into a discipleship relationship? Let me demonstrate this for you, okay? Hey, Dan. Uh, can we get together this week for a cup of coffee? Tea. Water. You see, you see how easy it was? We just had to argue over what we were drinking. We didn't even, there was no debate on whether or not we could get together. By the way, I'm so glad he said yes. But you see, it doesn't have to be this complicated thing. 
Maybe you can go up to somebody specific here in the church and it's better if you are able to bring in something specific. Say, hey, I'm struggling with raising my kids. Can we get together and talk about how you're raising yours? Or I'm wanting to better understand this book of Romans. I'd really like to get a handle on it. Can we meet together for a few weeks and and go through it together? It it, it doesn't have to be complicated. Um, What about the content of this? Okay, so you're going to meet with someone. What what is it that needs to be passed on? Well, if I return to our opening passage, the, the call on us to make disciples says that we are to teach them and observe all that to observe all that Jesus has commanded us. And a little reflection on this reveals that discipleship is not just a mere transfer of knowledge. I hope you see that. The mere aim of discipleship is not so that you know more facts about Jesus or the Bible. That's important. That's really good. But that's not the holistic piece of it. What we see is it's connected with our very lives, our character. Uh, the, 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 the connected with the teaching is what we observe. In other words, the observing of li- following and living as Jesus has called us to live, as we mirror him in this. There are things that he's commanded of us. And, it, and it's not just a transfer of knowledge, but of character that happens. And it happens, I think, in two regards. One, it can happen in natural relationships where we're out in the hallway talking, or you're coming over to my house, or we've agreed to meet at the coffee shop or wherever can happen in those natural relationships, but it also can happen um, in organized meetings where we have planned to get together as a group. And I want to hit on both of these facets. In natural relationships, we we have time where we're living life together. Everything from our hospitality um, to maybe even coming to to before early, uh, earlier before service begins to sit out the tables. I hope you recognize we have some tables out there now with chairs that you should be encouraged to come and sit at and have a conversation with someone. Oh, sure, talk about sports. Oh, sure, talk about the house project you've been working on, but what a great opportunity to also say, how have you been challenged lately to follow and live for Jesus? Uh, What does it look like for you to live for Christ? Um, Being that Discipleship is a way of life. We're mutually discipling one another at every turn in this. And what comes with this is a challenge for us, I think, to cross-pollinate. I see this in our church. Oh, that we would see it all the more. I I see the world through different lens than my friends here who are in their 70s or 80s. And I need their perspective I think as much as they need mine. So an encouragement to you who are younger, say you are in your 20s or your 30s here amongst us, and I would encourage you to view those older in the church as spiritual fathers and mothers. Some in here who've been through tremendously difficult seasons as believers, and therefore they have a lot to teach us about being faithful to Jesus through thick and thin. You folks who are further down the line, who are older in years, Can I encourage you to take the initiative to reach into younger people's lives? As part of the nitty gritty, you may have to be the one who actually takes the initiative in this church. It can be intimidating for sure. You say, what will we talk about? My house isn't set up for them. Maybe we don't share the similar hobbies or interests. Maybe I'm extroverted and they're introverted and so on. We could go on and on highlighting all of the earthly differences. But friends in heaven, none of that will matter or count for anything. 
What will matter and what we will look back and say we are so glad that we did was get out of our comfortable bubbles and invite younger people into our life so that we can help them run the race even as we are trying to run the race. And by the way, can I just say you don't have to know everything. You only have to know Jesus. If you know Jesus, you know enough to disciple. You don't have to know everything about theology or about living life as a Christian. But you can walk with them. And it's the only important thing that we have is that we know Jesus and we're helping others to follow Jesus. And as a quick sidebar, I'd like to say that this seems to apply both to formal and informal discipleship is that the invitation into this goes both ways. It doesn't always have to be the one who is in need of being discipled, reaching out to someone who's older or further down the line with Jesus. Friends, it can also and oftentimes should work the other way too. That those who are more mature in Christ are reaching down to help pull brothers and sisters up with them. Further, in discipleship relationships, I hope you know, they don't have to be in stone forever. Notice even earlier in my, in my example, uh, if I say I'd like to get to some, together with someone and talk about raising children, that just might be a single time we get together, and that is discipleship. In another case, if we want to go through the book of Romans, that might be a few weeks or or a couple months, but it doesn't have to be forever. I think sometimes we find and we look at this idea of discipleship and the word discipleship, the, the verbiage itself can be intimidating. So if you say, can I disciple you or you disciple me, it means something complex. And where I think if we just say, hey, could you help me with this specific thing, it may make it easier And less intimidating. And it doesn't imply that this has to, okay, I'm going to have to be committed to this relationship two or three times a week from here till Jesus returns. It it could just be for a short season of time that we do this. So you could get together and seek to go through resources together. I would encourage you to take a look at the the book stall in the library out there. One one of the books that's very helpful in this regard is one-to-one Bible reading by David Helm. Just encouraging, what would it look like for you to get together with another brother or sister or a few brothers and sisters, join together and read through scripture together, being encouraged? Well, discipleship relationships can form naturally like this, but the church also holds structures which facilitate discipleship as well. And these are formal times where we gather together to worship and grow in our knowledge of what Jesus has taught us as discussing um, how we observe exactly And apply what he has taught. Therefore, if you're not already involved, a great avenue to join in with is this coming fall with the men's and women's Bible study. This is group discipling, but it is discipleship. And so I'd encourage you, uh, maybe you say, well, I used to go, but somebody said something that hurt my feelings and now I don't want to go. Part of discipleship means trying to enter into those relationships even when they're difficult and working over those obstacles and continuing to grow. That itself is growth in Christ that we look more like Jesus. In the future, if we're able to, I would love for us to add on a foundations class, a membership class, or a leadership class. For those will also be other formal avenues that we spend time together in group discipleship. In a couple weeks, when we're looking at uh, right after service, we'll have a sack lunch as we look at deeper, or how does God change us, those two books. That will be group discipleship, and so I'd encourage you to, to come to, to that. 
Further, our time even of Saturday night prayer each month is another formal time where we join together and help each other follow Jesus. Being that discipleship is a way of life, it means that we're also doing that through serving one another. From various projects to ongoing needs, I see this body as supporting one another. Um, And I believe this serves two functions. One, it helps people who are in need. But also, if I can even just give a personal example more recently, what great discipleship happens when we get together to serve one another? I needed help with a roofing project. Many of you guys showed up. And what happened in the midst of that? was a lot of discipling each other, conversations, spurring one another on, checking in, seeing how one was doing with the other. It just happens oftentimes as we go shoulder to shoulder, working on things, and it could be the men cutting wood together, it could be the gals getting together to cook up some meals for some family or someone in need. But as we serve one another, it's a perfect opportunity for us to be together in discipleship opportunities. Formal and informal ways of us teaching and modeling what it means to follow Jesus so that others can too. Colossians chapter 1 verse 28 says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Or how about 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 7, so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. This is interesting where Paul is Talking to the Thessalonians, he says that they had become an example. Uh, This is discipleship. Two believers. And what was the example in? Just their good deeds? Well, yes, but it was what Paul mentions there is in the word of the Lord and faith. Their own faith was a way of modeling and discipling other believers to maturity. Discipleship, friends, is not just something we do. Discipleship, since it is central to being a Christian... It's how we do anything and everything with the aim of helping others follow Jesus. If you can only make it, if the only thing you can do as a Christian is make it here on a Sunday morning, when you sing, you're helping others follow Jesus because they see you singing and they know your life, the challenges that you're going through. And they're saying, if he goes through or she goes through that and they're singing, I can follow Jesus and sing too. When you join with a Bible study, you are helping others follow Jesus. When you come with your faithful presence and participation in the group, it helps others remain following Jesus. When you have someone over to your home and share what you are going through and how you are trusting God to work it all out, you're helping others to follow Jesus. Abel Mutai, he was a Kenyan runner. And he was at this international race, and he was only a few meters from the finish line. But as Abel got close to the finish line, he was confused. And he saw these signs, and he thought the signs meant that he'd already crossed the finish line. So he stops a few meters short. And meanwhile, there was a Spanish runner uh, right behind him. His name was Ivan Fernandez. Ivan recognizes what the Kenyan runner had done, and he begins to shout at him, Keep running, keep running. And it's interesting because uh, the Kenyan, he doesn't understand Spanish. And so he's going, what are, you, what are you talking about? So Ivan, the Spanish runner, gets in front of the Kenyan and he pushes him over the finish line. A reporter comes up to Ivan. Why did you do this? 
Ivan replied, my dream is that one day we can have the sort of community life where we push, our sh- push ourselves to help each other win. The reporter insisted, why did you let the Kenyan win? Ivan replied, I didn't let him win. He was going to win. The race was his. The reporter insisted and asked again, but you could have won. Ivan looked at him and replied, but what would be the merit of my victory? What would be the honor of this medal? What would my mother think of it? The values are supposed to be transmitted from one generation to another generation. Friends, this is a goofy picture, but it still nonetheless is what we do as Christians. We could all blast past each other so that we can say, aha, I win. Or it could be those who push others in front of us and say, keep running, keep going. So much of what we do is oftentimes being pushed while pushing others. Or to use a chain example, I latch onto others who are further down the line than I am. And I'm saying, help me love Jesus like you love Jesus. While I'm grabbing other people who are further back and saying, I don't know a whole lot, but let me try and get you right where I'm at. And let me pull you to this point because I've got something good here and I want you to have it too. While I'm saying, pull me further down the line. It's what we're doing with each other. It's Christian discipleship. And as we do this work, Jesus promises us something specific. I'm going to read Matthew 28 one, one more time. And as I close, listen what he, with what he finishes with. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, here's the promise. I'm with you always to the end of the age. You know, as we do the work of discipleship, you can feel alone. But the promise is, the Spirit of God is with us in this very work. It's what He wants us to be about. It's what His very heart is about. Oh, that we would join Him in this. Would you pray with me? Father, as we uh, do this, I, I know we don't have enough in our own strength to do this well. We don't have enough wisdom. We don't have enough vision to help others follow you. But I pray by grace that you would lead us to grow in this area as a congregation. That we'd have many followers of Jesus here who would say, I love Jesus more today than I did five years ago because of the people here working in and through me. Lord, would you do that? We ask, would you be with us as you promise? In Jesus' name we ask, amen.